did I find the inspiration? And then, you know what? It all goes back to goddess, you know, and the sacred feminine. It's all about her. And, uh, you know, as I'm sure so much of it is for you as well. Yes, yes. And, and the things I think that are interesting to talk about are, you know, what brought us there. And for me, it was, you know, I was somebody who was deeply immersed in corporate life in Manhattan <laughs> and, um, you know, had my spirituality suppressed, I'm sure, in a thousand ways I wasn't even aware of. And only after the deaths of two people close to me, including my husband, did I, you know, did she kind of hit me over the head and say, wake up. You know, <laughs> and I really broke open to, uh, to the goddess, to, to the presence of a divine feminine um, a feminine, a female face of God, as, as some would phrase it, but I think she's bigger than that. Um, you know, beyond um, Venus, Aphrodite, the ones we had learned about in Greco-Roman culture, you know, in school, and uh, left, left Manhattan, came out to California, and then about a year later, uh, heard of uh, the Budapest and the international her international goddess forum and uh, attended my first women's spirituality festival. So my life has never been the same since then. And uh, it's just so important, whatever our, our road in. <laughs> well, and, and I think for so many of us, in a way, it's similar. Um, and, and I'm sure other women may say different. But, you know, I left a corporate background in New Orleans mm-hmm. went and, sh- and mm-hmm. end up in California and also discover a feminine face of God. It's like I think that Los Angeles, San Francisco area was really just a hotbed, uh, you know, yeah. back in the day for this this awakening. And, um, you know, and some of those foremothers, um, you know, like you said, Z Budapest, you know, Maria Gimbutas, Carol Christ, so many, can't sure. even name them all, you know, uh, um, Rian Eisler. Yeah. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if it hadn't been for them, I mean, their their work. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, they've inspired so many of us. Um, but now your your um, your goddess work sort of takes on a little bit different flavor. Um, you know, you sort of take it in sort of the uh, I guess you would you call it the uh, the Judaic direction. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, although I've always done, my work has always been universalist uh, in that I welcome and and certainly try to include in talking to goddess and in my life, uh, women of all different traditions. Uh, And I myself was for nine years, uh, um, well, more than nine years, somewhat disaffected and alienated from Judaism. Uh, but still observed the holidays, as my family did, but then for nine years was also part of an Ile, a, a European West African spiritual house. So I began combining my practice with those elements plus feminist spirituality, which I was learning about in an academic setting. So it made for some very interesting explorations and some guilt, of course, along the way until I started learning how to let that aside and braid these traditions together, which was very rich. And in the late 90s, a couple of other women in the Bay Area and myself were doing certain functions uh, like officiating at weddings or doing some funerary rites, certain kinds of activism, uh, writing blessings, a good, one of these good friends writing liturgy, amazing liturgy, and um, all of us writing prayers, blessings, both musical and not me, but <laughs> one of the other women, and, and poetic and, and in, you know, prose, different forms of uh, our writing about our relationship uh, with deity. Um, and in the late 90s, we realized that we must be doing um, what women were doing 2,000 years ago. And there wasn't really a word for it. A Kohen in the, in the line from the ancient temple to Aaron, a Kohen was a priest, but a Kohenet in Hebrew means priestess. But there was no such acknowledgement of, of either role, for male or female, in modern times. And uh, I had a strong um, confirmation of that on a trip to uh, Jerusalem in 99. Um, and there were some symbols that led me also on this path, uh, including and especially by Bernadette Bruton, who wrote uh, Women Leaders in the Ancient Synagogue. And so I was convinced that there were women who were uh, who used the term or were called a Kohenet, a priestess, 
in, in that tradition, in the Hebrew and later called Jewish tradition, um, and proving it or even talking about it was extremely difficult. Um, it wasn't not only not popular, it wasn't recognized, but in 99, in 2000, I guess it was, I did a, uh, a large uh, ritual slash performance, I guess uh, one would call it, of uh, women. I had about women from nine different traditions, spiritual leaders, uh, kept coming together to do the opening prayers. And then I had women like Max Dashu showing her beautiful work and Lauren Rains, Masks of the Goddess. And, um, and it was just a great celebration. And it was done at, at summer solstice. And at, at that time, I, I knew I needed to name myself. And I finally uh, realized that was the most authentic title to call myself so that people knew what I was doing. Uh, a friend of mine had suggested feminist priestess, and that was also true uh, because I was working for and with women already then. But um, but Kohenet seemed to fit because that's my heritage uh, as a Jewish right. woman. So, right. um, so yes, well, <laughs> long and, answer to you. Uh, well, no, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I totally get it because it takes us on a journey. And uh, I know when I wrote um, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, the first yes. book, I, I, I felt like I had to sort of define what I was, you know, uh, yes. because people outside the goddess community didn't even know that there was clergy, and I'm using air quotes here, right. clergy right. of goddess. And I could refer to myself as a priestess, I guess, within the community, but outside of the community, you say the word priestess, and people's um, eyebrows kind of poke up, like priestess, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. priestess, you or know? cringe. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and I end, but I knew I didn't really um, identify as a pagan. I didn't really identify as a witch. Um, I, 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 so I came up with goddess advocate. You know, it's such a, mm. a sterile, a sterile kind of a generic term. But I couldn't find anything. I, I, I couldn't come mm-hmm. up with something better. <laughs> but I like yeah, that. I, I like mean, that it's a process. Yeah. We, well, and it's, it, it, it is. You know, generic can be good or bad. You know, I mean, it doesn't. You know, it's not. Uh, you know, uh, putting a fine point on it but at least um at least you know you're talking about a feminine face of god and not um you know patriarchy um, right right but but um explain to the audience and me uh devora um meshpia what is uh that's in your bio oh, yes, you are a meshpia uh, yeah i just i just oh. got that uh uh uh, ordination, shall we say, uh, as a mashpia, as a spiritual director. I always call that spiritual guide, that role, because I never direct a client, obviously, about what they should believe. A spiritual guide is meant to be with somebody on their spiritual journey, whether or not they have a particular affiliation with a religion. Uh, they may just be on a path and, you know, things are calling them and they're not sure what it is or Maybe they feel a void in their life, and they're exploring that, as, as I did um, after uh, the deaths of these two people. Um, I definitely had a hole in me to, that they needed filling, and it, I don't think it was just from the grief, but the grief forced me to, I guess, look at it. And I was lucky, I guess, at the same time, I started, uh, well, I was reading people like Vicki Noble's Shakti Woman and Women Who Run With the Wolves and even uh, Jean Shinoda Boland's. Uh, goddess in every woman and so those those sources gave me some information I had never encountered before except for Jean Solent some of those goddesses of course I'd heard of but um, you know the the idea of a woman as shaman as Ricky writes about you know it, it was electrifying and also the the notion that uh, Pinkola Estes uh, puts forth of um, if your if your creativity is suppressed so is your spirituality and I knew that had happened to me then, you know, as I read about it uh, during my marriage. So uh, it was like an explosion of, of awareness. And um, I forgot where I started with that. Oh, much P.S. So, um, so yeah, fast forward a number of years later. And then, uh, of course, I was doing that kind of counseling, not as a therapist, but um, as somebody who was accompanying women on a journey when I uh, was teaching and later co-directing the Women's Spirituality Master's Program, which uh, was started, uh, I, my involvement started with Judy Gron and Diane Jeanette at New College, and then 
in 2007-8 really we uh, went to Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in Palo Alto and uh, and had a wonderful program at the school was later named as you said Sophia University so so some of that sort of guidance was going on already um, and then unfortunately I needed to close the program in 2015 for a number of reasons I won't elaborate on here because we don't have enough time <laughs> but um, I started doing that kind of work, and then uh, Yerusha Academy was offering the Wisdom School had been for some time through Rabbi Nadia Gross, and the secrets my grandmother told me um, or taught me, as you mentioned, this was the teachings of Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism through the mother line, and that really got my attention. And so, in 2013, I, I enrolled in that class. And uh, 10 years, or seven years later, I guess, in 2000, no, not 2000, as we entered uh, 2020, I joined another program that she was directing, which was called Hashpa'ah, which means spiritual direction, a three-year program uh, from which I then graduated last January. So the work is, again, just to accompany someone on their journey and to be present and to hold them to witness you know, things that are often missing in this culture and which are so critical to our development. So that's right, what a Mishpia right. does. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, uh, so it's so important, you know, especially, um, it, you know, it's not like in this life at this point in time we have a lot of, um, oh, what would you say, um, signposts, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to kind of help us along the way. I've, I've often thought of myself in a way even uh, with my pink-handled machete, you know, kind of blazing a, a trail, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in yeah. some ways and um, making it maybe a little bit easier for the younger women to maybe come, yeah. come after us. And, of course, we're standing on shoulders of women who have blazed the trail, you you know, cleared the path a little bit for us, and you know, and so goes it. No, no but um, yeah, um, and so just a couple cultural questions before we get to your book mm-hmm. uh, for context mm-hmm. for um, you know for for listeners. I mean, I come from a Christian background. Um, I you know was raised Catholic, and you know, like you alluded to, you know, you had a some difficulty with with your Jewish faith, you know, when you found a feminine face of God, as did I. I was right. very angry with Catholicism, Christianity. I wouldn't even step foot in the church for ages. Right. Um, right. And um, and so I wonder: is it as difficult? Is it as difficult for? Uh, Jewish women who are priestesses, who are goddess advocates within Judaism as it is for Christian women kind of blazing a trail within Christianity for goddess? I mean, are we both, um, you know, kind of, do we both have an uphill battle to make on the patriarchal fringe. religions? Yeah, on the fringe. Or, or is it considered Definitely. heretical? Yeah. Oh, it definitely has been uh, in the past, and certainly 50 years ago, or well, let's let's start 2,000 years ago, and biblical quotes like "Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live," <laughs> you know, uh, it could have cost us our lives in in parts of Africa, and I'm sure other parts of the world, women who are thought to be witches are brutally murdered. So yes, always very dangerous. Of course, you know about the Burning Times and the Inquisition, and millions of women um, and men being burned and killed uh, for being healers and midwives and so on. Um, yeah. So, yes, uh, not not quite as dangerous, uh, let's say, at least in this country, in, in most quarters, but still dangerous, certainly dangerous if you're thought of as a witch. And I once, uh, when I moved to where I live now, which is uh, uh, North Bay, uh, California, North Bay area, I went to a bookstore and asked to see women's spirituality section, and they led me to an occult and witchcraft section. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of confusion. I think it's gotten cleared up a lot because it's now more in the language, people's everyday language, and we're, and we're making distinctions. Uh, a lot of the progress we've made in the uh, recognition of a priestess role uh, came through the uh, work of Rabbi Jill Hammer and uh, her co-founder of the uh, Hebrew Priestess Co-Cohenet Institute. They were training priestesses 
um, and they just uh, closed this summer. But they, they've done that uh, very successfully for about 17 years. I was happy to be on the founding advisory board years ago, and they started, uh, let's see, my festival was 2000. So they started t- about 2005 and have trained uh, either ordained or initiated about 120, I think, uh, women as uh, Kohanot. And what's very exciting about that is that has gained uh, recognition in the world, you know, and not the wide world, but in, in a number of quarters and in certain congregations, I think Jewish renewal uh, movement is more open to it. Uh, maybe also the reform branch, uh, Judaism, uh, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, is, uh, has been broken down into reform, conservative, and orthodox branches, so to speak, with Reconstructionists in between and Jewish renewal being more of a movement than a branch because it's very much, first of all, mystical, as I said, and also very uh, activist in, in terms of social action. And so are many of these priestesses. Uh, that have graduated that program. So uh, they are also healers, they're activists, they're educators. Uh, there's a wide spectrum, but now you see people recognizing the role and even bringing some in as guests, if not yet clergy, but we're close to that. And uh, and in a couple of cases, uh, one with uh, my friend Annie Matan in Toronto is now with an organization and has been hired as a Kohenet. So that's very exciting. Um, and yeah. I think that will continue to unfold. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and for listeners who don't know, um, there's actually a thing called woman priests, uh, where women who are in the Christian faith actually mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. offshore in a boat and are right. ordained as as woman yes. priests, and that is really a thing. Yes. And then they come back, you know, after ordination on this boat, which is in international waters. That's the way it has to be. Um, it's really and is just it crazy. Done by the Anglican women? Um, you know, women from England. Uh, you know, I'm not sure of all quite quite all of the details. I remember interviewing a woman here on the show uh, back in, I guess, the 2000s, and um, I, I don't recall honestly. Uh, but I, I think uh, but I, read I, that I just somewhere, but I'm sure other women too. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, so there are official woman priests out there, um, you know, uh, you know, I guess just like they they can be a pastor or a rabbi uh, in 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 some, you know, areas of their of their faiths, you know, but, you know, it's just incredible when you think about the hoops women have to jump through in order to serve their community and serve their deity, you know. Yes, absolutely. And also the amount of respect or lack of it. I, I remember a, a good friend who you probably know, uh, Kahuna Leilani Byerly, uh, who founded Daughters of the Goddess in, around the same time I founded Lilith Institute in 97. Um, she has been running women's circles for many years. And I remember her talking in the early days about people's attitudes about paying for a ritual or an event because they weren't yet considering pagan clergy as clergy. So, they, you know, where they would pay a pastor, a priest, a rabbi with no problem, uh, you know, it wasn't, it, that was an uphill battle too. Um, the good, the yeah. good thing I, I can report is that there are a lot more women rabbis now. It wasn't, I think, until uh, early 2000s or in, in the 90s, I think, that conservative women could be uh, ordained as a rabbi in, in conservative Judaism in and the outliers who were privately ordained or in reform, it started in the early 70s. Rabbi Lynn Gottlieb of Berkeley was one of the first um, to be so ordained, and Sally Prezant. Uh, but now, one other change. Uh, Orthodox women c- could not. Uh, they can now, um, rarely, but they don't have a congregation. So it's an uphill battle still for uh, Orthodox, I think, even modern Orthodox women. But... But in terms yeah. of reform, conservative, reconstructionist, renewal, there are a lot of women rabbis who, who are clergy in institutions, you know, in temples and synagogues. So, so that yeah. is a progress. <laughs> well, uh, one in one last question, and I promise we're going to get to your book. Uh, just no, because I, love I know it. you're I, you're, I love the you're the. the you're the expert here. Um, we know back in the Bible, you know, the men were all bent out of shape because the women were baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven. Um, <laughs> it, it, 
you know, and the women were the ones that wouldn't let go of that feminine face of God. And I think they even Mm -hmm. got the blame for Babylon taking them over because uh, the women were continued to be loyal to goddess. And correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, um, but could you speak to that a little bit? And what what goddess were these women uh, speaking to? And were they were they also Canaanite women? Were there were they were they Canaanite and Jewish women yes. combined? Yes. yes, yes, definitely. Uh one thing I don't know about the piece you were speaking to, but I can say that uh there is this whole uh, discussion uh with women and, and the prophet Jeremiah where they pointed out, look what happened when we stopped offering cakes to the Queen of Heaven. That's what I think what you're talking about, and that the food was running low, and the, and the, and the you know libations, you know, having enough food and water was was a problem, um, and other kinds of uh, um, regional and, and local, and I'm sure they thought global um, uh, lifestyle issues, uh, and that things were just falling apart basically uh, when we stopped make, bake, baking those cakes. Um, so there is that. Um, it certainly is Asherah, certainly, and that is, uh, you know, she she has been taught often purely as a Canaanite goddess. And but what what more and more people are, are I guess, admitting or learning because of the work of some great scholars, especially William Beaver, is that what by whatever name, whether they were doing it as Jews or well, they were doing it as Jews, but definitely, to, I, I would say, together with Canaanites. You know, things you you would have read 10, 15 years ago would have just said it was the Canaanite women and men who were worshiping Asherah, but definitely it was it was the Jews as well. Um, and I don't know what kind of distinctions they even all made at that time, you know. But but we have all kinds of proofs of uh, of her her worship on the hillside, and even in the temple, the official temple, uh, for I think 400 years until King Josiah, and you can read this in Kings, it's quite disturbing, but you can read how uh, uh, he ordered all evidence of her removed, which of course tells us it was pretty widespread. So whatever they were trying to make happen, I think, which I think was just forcing this focus purely on a sole monotheistic male god, um, you know, and, and regarding anything else as a threat, and so and called them idolatry, we have evidence of Asherah because the women wove what are called batim, B-A-T-I-M, which we think could have been, we don't really know, but we think they could have been like a small weaving that you would hang on a wall, or I sometimes think of it as maybe it was a woven little house, little shrine house. Uh, in, uh, I think Shinto religion, there is a kind, and other religions, a little wooden house that is a tiny shrine, you know, that you might put foods or, foods or flowers at or incense. Um, I don't know where this was placed in the temple, but uh, the king definitely wanted it all removed. There was also, her presence was also indicated by an Asherah pole that would be standing in the ground. Uh, so different representations, symbolic representations. And what you can read about in Kings and elsewhere, I think Deuteronomy and a little bit in Exodus, is how vicious the, her removal was. You know, So that tells you that as folk religion, it was very present. You know, even if people were also worshiping the one God, so to speak. Um, and you can tell this because not only was the king saying you've got to, you know, risk tear out all evidence, you know, any any sign of her comes out of the temple or out of the local synagogue. And in one, at least one case that uh, anything, including, I think, the poles, were to be ground up into dust. So that's already bad enough. But even more vitriolic description is in one case, where you would grind up any evidence of her. Um, and so I don't know if these might have also been images as well as the pole. And then grind up into dust and go up in the hill, uh, on the hill where we know the worship happened, and, and uh, throw that dust over graves. How much do you have to hate something to prescribe that, to order that Yeah. kind of removal? Well, right? and not just hate it, but maybe fear it. <laughs> you know, sure. uh, I think I think fear is too. Yeah, yes, yes, I would totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. So, um, so the newest book, uh, "Talking to Goddess." Um, why did you put it together? Uh, tell us, um, you know, tell us mm-hmm. about it and how people use it. Well, I started thinking about it. Um, 
maybe around 2005 and put out a call for submissions. And by 2007, I had enough to put together a small a booklet. It was eight, eight by 10, but it was coil bound. It can go, you know, to, uh, I don't remember how many submissions or, or contributions I had in there, but I had it at actually a, a Women's Rights of Spring Festival that I co-led with Leilani for four years. Um, and I, I had it in, by 2007, I was able to have a printed copy available for people. And then it kept nagging at me, and I decided I wanted to turn it into a book, and I'll, I'll read you uh, what sets a little bit of the history. Um, and by 2009, with, with the help of uh, Sochi Valdez, uh, an amazing uh, artist, uh, graphic designer, and, uh, and Yoruba priest with a really wonderful sense of um, just how this thing should be laid out, and also she was a contributor, um, we did that together, and I gathered uh, the work of 72 women from 25 spiritual traditions, which I, you know, I look back and I, you know, would have liked to include even some more. <laughs> but I had a three-month deadline at that point, which is, you know, a great way to get projects done. <laughs> I was going back to South Africa, where I had done my doctoral research. Uh, I was going back in August of 2009, and so we had three months to get this fully, fully done, and, and we did it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I can read you a little bit from the introduction, if you like. Sure. That'll answer your question. Okay. This book reflects a decade of my listening to women's voices and bringing together women from different spiritual and cultural traditions to pray, play, and celebrate their lives and their relationships with deity. The volume has also been driven by my own connection to spirit, questions about her mysteries, my constant impossible desire to define her, and the wish to share the energies and essences of both public and private ceremonies and rituals of which I've been a part over the past 15 years. I just want to mention that, uh, which a number of people have taken exception to over the years, but uh, I, I capitalize the word her when I'm talking about goddess. Oh, so do I. I. And she, and she, yes. and goddess. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, thank yeah. you. My passion for compiling these sacred words arose out of the desire I see in other women and men to unite with her and out of the need to proclaim more loudly and more often the sacred qualities of women's everyday lives and words. I'm greatly indebted to these women who believed in and supported this project, generously com contributing their germinal work. Thank you, Judy Grun. <laughs> Rather than saying seminal, we use the word germinal. <laughs> work and energy to bring it to life. The prayers contained herein are original works by the authors. A number of them were written expressly for this book. Some women thought it important to bring back work they'd done years ago to bring awareness to a new generation. Others were kind enough to share glimpses of forthcoming books and articles. And I especially thank Judy Grand, Louisa Tisch, and Diane Jeanette for inspiring and conspiring <laughs> and for their generosity in contributing their arts, both written and visual, to this project. So um, it was important to me because I think women, it makes a big difference in women's lives to know about the sacred feminine, even if they have to secretly think about her and, and you know, are horrified when they first hear the word goddess or the idea of picturing God as, as partly female or with female aspects. The visual piece that I was thanking Diane Jeanette for is an amazing photo, which is on the cover of uh, the goddess Kalima, uh, Badra Kali, um, in a, a beautiful altar uh, built to her in uh, central India. Um, so let me see, did I answer your question? No, I think so. I but, think so. Um, and, and, oh, one you other, know, speaks. Okay. okay, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, just a quick thing. You asked how it's being used. Um, from what I know, it's used uh, in some classes. I occasionally use it in classes, and I know others do. Um, leading women's circles, uh, people have ordered it for that, uh, to share it in circle. And uh, I know one woman, and I'm sure she's not the only one, um, and I appreciate it <laughs> that she shared this with me. She, as it's become part of her practice, and that is to read from it every day as part of her morning practice. Um, I occasionally yeah, and inspirational. Will do that, uh, exactly, and sometimes I will do what we call bibliomancy, <laughs> for those who may have never heard that word, a type of divination where you just open a book without looking to whatever page falls open, and you take a message from that, or in my case, I would read... Um, I just came, uh, I just did that right now, 
and uh, and got one from Jan Jobling of Liverpool called "Of Flames and Ashes." <laughs> so, oh, um, oh, it's fun. How, it's fun how appropriate it for that. Yes, yeah, indeed, um, indeed. Um, so speak to, Devorah, speak to the value of women writing their own prayers. I can't overstate it. I think when we take agency to do that, it takes a lot to get over the hump that says, you don't have any right to do this. Who are you to rewrite this prayer or write any prayer? You're not <coughs> ordained clergy. You know what I mean? You're not a teacher mm-hmm. or an educator or your English isn't good enough or your writing isn't good enough, which it has nothing to do with, really. You know, that thing, that inner critic that rises up so strongly in us on many fronts, uh, whether we're cooking or parenting or, or writing or teaching or many other fields, probably every field. Right? Um, yeah. And so being able to confront that and do it anyway to move through that fear or that uh, timidness or that hu- overabundance of humility. And it's very mm-hmm. empowering. And when I yeah. was teaching, um, I think it, I think women's sacred texts uh, years ago, um, I asked the women to work with um, a piece of, I think maybe the beginning half or beginning parts of Genesis. There was a lot of resistance to that, but I wanted them to rewrite it in some way. And yeah. uh, the two who resisted most strongly were crying as they read what they were, had written. You know, so that yeah. told me, yeah. and that was that was early 2000s, um, that told me what a powerful practice it is. In Judaism, there's a practice called Midrash. It's kind of like exegesis, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong there, but in terms of uh, it's, a, it's a retelling, a reinterpretation, and that often means a rewriting of something from the Bible, or what we would call Torah. And so Judith yeah. Moscow has done a great job of this, uh, you know, with L- L- the Lilith story, uh, Lilith, the first woman, and where she has Lilith and Eve coming together and becoming friends instead of uh, competitors, you know. So yeah. uh, there are many, many midrashim, you know, and it's a, it's a story that you write. And so I, I think it's important because women, you know, when – when you step forward into a role that you either were always told you couldn't do or was only assigned to men, it's very empowering and cha- changes your view of yourself well, as well as what you can bring yeah, to the world. Well, and, I, you know, it's, it's like I think we get these ideas through osmosis maybe. Um, I know it was back in mm. 2015, um, uh, the parliament that they had in Utah, uh, I gave a talk mm-hmm. there called Reawakening Our Earliest Sacred Stories, and it was about women giving themselves permission to do just this. And I didn't know about mm-hmm. midrash, midrash, you know. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I've been I've been teaching that class for a number of years, and it, it, it sounds so simple, but but it it really yeah. takes um, uh, it, you know it, it it takes some gumption, if you will, I guess, mm-hmm. for some women mm-hmm. to take the reins and uh, rewrite the narratives um, because um, you know they've devalued themselves. You know, somehow they think these male church leaders were so much more divinely inspired or had some authority that, um, you know, I guess we don't, I I know for me, I don't, I didn't recognize that authority anymore. So for me, it wasn't a big deal, but for some people it's like, well, these are still the authorities. How dare we, uh, this is heretical, but you know, I think it's, I think it's necessary. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to bring in uh, a poem, if I may. Or, or do you, go ahead. Do you want to sure. Say something? No, 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 no. Okay. No, you go ahead. What's the poem? Um, okay. Uh, one of the other uh, women who has been doing women's spirituality, as well as amazing amounts of uh, women's activism, which changed all our lives, and was co-founder of the lesbian feminist movement, is Judy Gran, as you know. And um, and so her work in women's spirituality has taken a number of different forms. And one of the things is, um, and, and in fact, I want to just mention, um, I'll, I'll come back to it, sorry. Um, I want to mention and read this, this poem, which I called a piece of liturgy called May We Embrace in the opening pages of Talking to Goddess. Great Mother, Great Spirit, Great Mother-Father God, may we embrace, 
those whose deity is a talkative stone, a sacred tree or a reindeer. May we embrace those whose deity is a complex historic story of martyrdom, suffering, and redemption. May we embrace those whose deity is imminent in a dance of joy, in drum song, or literate tattoo carved in flesh of sacred human body, knowing yours is the greatest of all bodies. Great Spirit, Great Father, Mother God, Great Mother, may we embrace those whose deity is the keeping of just law, and may we embrace those whose deity is the breaking of unjust law. May we embrace those whose deity is a sexual being, and those whose deity is a breath of sound, and those whose deity is crafting a talisman of jewels, or beautiful cloth, a painting in sand of our lives as paintings in the wind knowing yours is the gift of thoughtful action. Great Father, Mother God, Great Spirit, Great Dancing Mother, may we embrace those whose deity drips gore in the eternal boneyard of the non-reality of anybody. And may we embrace just sitting with all being, those whose deity is present in a tender kiss of the baby God and the blessing of all relationships knowing you are the blood-red web holding our short lives on this long earth. Great Mother, Mm. Great Spirit, Great Father, Mother God, may we embrace our own hearts. May our hearts stretch large as wounds, as consciousness, as the river of life, you of the nebulae and the black holes, you of the microbes and spinning cells, you of the shimmering cosmic delights, May our hearts stretch toward your heart, you of the largest heart. May we embrace. Mm, that's beautiful. Well, that that that's brings simple. me to: um, do you, do you think it matters uh, what we name God or goddess, and what are some of the names you use? Mm, I think it matters a lot, and if we doubt that for a minute, we have only to see the reaction of of men when we want to substitute the word women for men in, you know, many of the writings that we grew up with. And certainly mm-hmm. you see huge reaction from both women and men if you say uh, the word goddess instead of God, uh, or even just to mention the possibility of female deities. So I have a couple of habits that I do um, uh, where I used to often say, oh, thank God such and such happened. I now for years have said, thank goddess, such and such. You know, little things that can shift people's consciousness, um, mm-hmm. I try to incorporate, and certainly I encourage. Uh, but for me, she is, uh, I guess, overarchingly, most most of the time, Shekhinah and Shaddai. Shaddai is the breasted god. Uh, Shekhinah, definitely. Uh, Lilith, Ishtar, Inanna, Asherah, Astarte, Oya, Yemaya, Oshun, Olokun. Uh, possibly Obatala, uh, being male and female, and Eshu, uh, Kalima, Badrakali, um, Dakshine Kalite. Uh, so I'm going to stop there because I won't just go off. <laughs> yeah, we could go uh, on I, and I, on. I, but I, I wonder, Devorah, yeah. um, would do you do you um, and, and look? And if you're like me, you know, it depends on what day you ask me. But um, right. do you see goddess as sort of um, you know a, a, a mono one god and all of these are like facets of the diamond that she is or branches on the tree that she is or do you see these names that you've just shared um, as very distinct different deity in their own right it's a great question, Karen, and um, for a number of years when I was first in this field learning about it, um, it was very confusing to me. You know, I was talking about the one or the many, and I've come to a point where I can honor that, you know, I love the expression, she of 10,000 names. Um, in mm-hmm. Judaism, there are at least 1,000 names for God in, in, uh, in Hinduism and probably, well, Hinduism, let me just say it that broadly, uh, but that uh, in my own mind, it includes uh, Shakta tradition. Uh, which is, of course, based in, in the female. Um, but it can be, uh, you know, there are these traditions that have 10,000 names for God. And occasionally for me, Shekhinah in particular, let's say, is overarching. 
as in the Yoruba pantheon, Ludamare is overarching. Um, and if I'm in a Jewish um, synagogue, at, at especially maybe at high holidays, I want to incorporate, incorporate five or six who I may even view as universal in the sense you're asking. So Adonai, Havaya, uh, Ya, Shekhinah, and so on. But in the everyday, uh, I may call on any one individual, you know, for a particular thing. If they have a specialty, let's say, or in, in uh, you know, among the Arishas in Yoruba Ifa tradition, uh, you know, Ogun is in charge of metal and, and the forest, and Eshu is the keeper of the crossroads, right? and Lokun is the, the mystery at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, Yamaya is the, the mother who takes care of us all and can take us. And, and they care for us, as I imagine Shekhinah puts us under her wings sometimes and, and can take care of us and is, is an entity to whom we can, although I have trouble doing this, turn over our worries and our problems here at any given time. So it's really both for me. And that's, maybe that's because I've learned about both and over the last two, two, two decades at least, you know. It doesn't have to be yeah. either or. And, and so it's all yeah. of it for me and just things. Just things come out of my mouth just because of what's coming through my body and in the moment. As you said, it can so much depend on not only the day but the situation. Yeah. Well, and I think you just answered yeah. another question, too, you know, because I've had people say to me, well, Karen, um, how can you be drawn to Egyptian goddesses? You know, why aren't mm-hmm. you into the Celtic pantheon, you know? And mm-hmm. I don't really think it, uh, It. I, I don't think we have to stick to, um, you know, uh, you know, such, uh, you know, such narrow versions of, uh, the deity that calls to us, you know, it doesn't have to be, right. um, you know, your, of your lineage, so to speak, you know, your genetic lineage. Absolutely. I think it's so much richer to incorporate many. I mean, I have uh, an image of Keridwen in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> I have Oshun in the kitchen uh, because that is part of her purview. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's a lot of richness in in studying other traditions, certainly, and uh, important to be able to do that without feeling guilty, certainly. I think a lot of people are closed off because they're taught that theirs is the only way, and so they never learn about other traditions. And then I hope as adults maybe they learn that, oh, we all want the same thing. Why are we fighting? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I I was just showing some slides of sacred uh, sites of goddess around the world and started with the, mm-hmm. um, you know, Burkhat Ram and, you know, the Moroccan Tantan and, mm-hmm. you know, all the way up mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, you know, goddesses whose traditions are still alive today. And, you know, and, and I feel like, you know, she's the poster girl for diversity. You know, I mean, she she's across <laughs> continents and cultures and it, it makes so much yeah sense to me if we just looked at her and embraced her would we really be able to be fighting and killing each other you know um it it, i just don't think it's a female instinct to do that and um i don't know i i guess as we start to come to a close here um you know i wanted to ask you if uh you know you maybe wanted to uh, you know, end our interview with maybe a blessing for the world today? Sure. Um, there's something else I just wanted to say to you. Oh, just, again, the, I guess the importance of uh, being able to hold both and, um, and that which would keep us from, you know, pitting one against the other in that way. Um, so, yes, no, so, uh, thank wait, you for the invitation. Wait, speak to that, though, Devorah? That that's kind of got buried. Um, speak oh. speak to that. I think there was something you wanted to say. Uh, I, I think I just wanted to emphasize um, the importance of holding two opposites, two seeming opposites, holding both and. Not that it has to be either your way is right and mine is wrong, or you know, but that we can both have a point. <laughs> Yeah, yes. and that and that holds true for different goddesses. And when I was first doing my work on Lilith, you know, she's demonized always. And um, and I asked my advisor Betty Deshawn Metter of Blessed Memory, well, couldn't she be an aspect of Inanna and Ishtar? 
And so that, that really was the beginning of my understanding that yes, and she thought, yes, that was entirely possible. So to answer your, your earlier question of, yes, this can be, you know, why are we trying always to define and divide uh, this goddess, you know, and put them even against each other, you know, if it is the many aspects of us and of her. Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. So thank you for the invitation. Normally, as I said to you, I would do this at the beginning, um, but uh, but this I think it fits wherever it, it happens. And and that prayer was going to be. Tell me how much time we have because I was going to read something, but I could just speak something. So, how much time do we have left? Um, we probably have about five minutes. Perfect. Okay. So I'll start with. Uh, an opening prayer from Carolyn Brandy, uh, which is in Talking to Goddess, titled Moyuba, Highest Praises. Highest praises, highest praises to everything that covers our heads. Highest praises to the light that lives inside of you. Highest praises to the right spirit, the owner of the womb, the owner of the day, the owner of the night, the owner of breath. Highest praises to the dead that sit at the foot of God. May they rest in peace. 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 And to the oceans, the rivers, the gentle breeze, the storming thunder, the earth, path, and crossroads, the herbs and medicines, snow-capped mountains, and to all the elements, we give them our respect and our gratitude to be amongst them by whatever name they might be called or worshipped. Our humility is our gift and our birthright, as it is for every human, growing as a seed under light of sun and moon. And to our children, we give our gratitude and our respect, for we are the ancestors of a coming age, a new age by whom we will be called the Ancient One. Mm. And so as we are standing... mm. Thanks to Carolyn Brandon. As we have been standing and we continue to stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, I give thanks and praise to the ancestors, both those in our bloodline, the affinity ancestors who we may not have been related to and may not even have met, but who had a big influence on our lives, big impact on our lives. And I especially mm. pray for the elevation and healing of souls who have been forced to depart in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the last few weeks, certainly all of those who have lost their lives in the Ukraine-Russian war and anywhere else around the world where people have lost their lives through war or natural causes. We thank the ancestors. We pray for the elevation of their souls as we pray for our own healing as a world. Amen. Blessed be. Um, what, what beautiful words, um, Devorah. I mean, these, uh, this book uh, should be on our shelves. And, you know, when we need special words for a gathering or, or a meal or whatever it is, um, you know, what, what, uh, what a wonderful resource to have at our disposal. I mean, these thoughtful, beautiful words that these women have put together. Um, how does one find you. your book? Um, on Amazon, um, it can be found there, and I think probably through Abe Books, you know, the advanced book exchange that often has used books, possibly there as well. Okay. Um, all right. In the title, there, there, uh, there talking to God. There, yeah. there is a link on my shop page on LilithInstitute.com. Uh, there are links to my books on the shop page and also to uh, to my line of T-shirts and other things that say, uh, what would Lilith do? <laughs> oh, I love which, that. Okay, I have to get one of those for myself. <laughs> what, what, what would Lilith do? Okay, I need that. I need that. Um, and, 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 and also there, I just so you know, Devorah, there are links to your website on my page as well. So, uh, and Thank for you. those of you who uh, maybe are hearing about Devorah for the first time, her name is D. V-O-R-A-H, Gren, G-R-E-N-N. Um, and do you mind if I ask you a weird question? <laughs> um, no, and I can also hey. give my email if you wish. Go ahead. 
yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, will you give give your email address first so we don't forget? Don't forget your question. Okay, D like Debbie, V like Victor, O R A H at Lilith L I L I T H Institute dot com. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Weird okay. Question. So um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm almost embarrassed to ask you this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> uh, because you're so learned in this area, and and you know, and in, in this, you know, it's always a woman's point of view is different. Um, I just wanted to ask you if you have any thoughts on the Ark of the Covenant. Um, do you have any ideas of what it really was, <laughs> where it might have gone to? Um, has that, you know, ever been something you've looked into? Really not. I, I get a kick out of the fact that they've been building one, which I just heard is out of concrete <laughs> uh, in, in this country. Um, but I, no, I really have no thoughts about it. I think it's part of the um, wonderful mythology, which many regard as uh, definitely as history. And I don't hope to offend anyone. Uh, but for me, it's a wonderful, powerful story that we have in the Bible because it's lasted 2,000 years and people, it, it has meant a lot to people. Uh, but I think it is a, a mythological story. So that would be probably also my answer, you know, regarding the ark that like the parting of the Red Sea, there are some scientific explanations to the events. Okay. All right. Fair that, enough. Fair enough. I had, I had to ask. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had yeah, to ask, so forgive me. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe it's so much. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) No, I just want to thank you for the invitation to be here. Oh, well, you know what? Uh, I had so much fun talking to you, and quite honestly, I could have chatted with you for another half hour, but, you know, uh, time is uh, <laughs> a, a, a time is, yeah. is running short on me here. But um, I'm yeah. so glad we did this. I can't uh, believe we haven't done it before, uh, but I'm glad yeah. I rectified it now, and, okay. uh, and you've been Everything on the show. Right You're time. just a delight. Yeah. Thank you. You too. You too, Karen. Thank you for all your work. Thank you. Really valuable. Well, and, and, you know, same to you. Same to you. And uh, may you continue to be inspired and creative and, um, you know, uh, in, in the force that you are in the world because we certainly need you out there. Thank you, Devorah. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Okay. Well, um, before we go, uh, everyone, uh, we need to hear from Joe Carson about uh, her book, Celebrate Wildness. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the divine maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. 
And one more thing before you go. Um, this is the last time I'll have the opportunity to tell you about this. Uh, November 6th through 8th, uh, there is a Sacred Feminine Women's Gathering coming up in Mexico. Uh, it's going to be held in uh, Magical San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, November 6th through 8th. Uh, it's a beautiful small city in Mexico uh, that Travel and Leisure voted the most enchanting destination in Mexico for 2023. Uh, the group called uh, Calling the Circle will have ceremony with Native facilitators, speakers who will share goddess wisdom, smaller sister discussion groups, journaling, sound healing, and collaborative creative experiences. Uh, the intention of the gathering is to connect inspire, empower, and celebrate the divine feminine in us all. Uh, their words, uh, uh, they say, uh, join us as we connect with the essence of goddess wisdom, learn from women considered inspirational leaders in their fields, and explore topics that include sacred feminine spirituality, ancient matriarchal cultures, ritual creativity, and the visionary path into this new time. Uh, this will be a time to nourish and transform ourselves and our world at this time of deep awakening. And to find out more or to register, you go to their website, which is sacredfemininecircle.com, sacredfemininecircle.com. Uh, also, a shout out to Celia uh, for letting us use her music, and that cut opening the show was uh, called Meta Prayer. And uh, we always close the show with um, an homage to Sekhmet by Abigail Spinner McBride. So thanks to Abigail as well. Uh, so thank you, dear listeners, uh, for um, you know, your valuable time, for your listener loyalty. And uh, just a reminder, if you would like to uh, advertise uh, your book, your event, uh, whatever your project is uh, here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine, uh, our commercials are very affordable. And please do go check out my website at karentate.net. Uh, lots of great stuff there, lots of free stuff, lots of information. Uh, you can check out uh, podcasts, articles, uh, services that, um, uh, and talks that I'm available to um, give to your group, um, and I, I think uh, some funny sacred travel stories as well. They'll give you a chuckle. All right, uh, that about does it for me, and thanks to Devorah again for an incredible interview. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you can tell I didn't even do my commercials at, uh, at the half-hour point. We were just too deep in. Uh, I didn't want to interrupt our flow. So uh, goodbye, Devorah, for today. I uh, hope you will be back another time uh, so we can continue our conversation. And uh, for all of you listeners out there, this is uh, our homage to Sekhmet, lion-headed Egyptian goddess who speaks to women about having safe, healthy boundaries, teaches them to say no without guilt, to find uh, their courage, their inspiration, their healing, uh, and their tenacity. Uh, I like to call her the Lady of Tenacity Manifested. So, Sekhmet, we honor you.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.